Uh, I thought that was really an awesome sight, having the kids up here um, in line in a mob, waiting to, to get a Bible, wanting to get a Bible. Uh, bring your Bible every week is my encouragement to you. And I know uh, a lot of you just get on your phone and get a Bible. That's, that's fine. Look at a Bible on your phone. No problem with that whatsoever. Um, but uh, please bring a Bible every week. If you don't have a Bible, then come see me after the worship service today, and I will give you um, a Bible. Love for you to have it. And invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So that's going to be in the New Testament, the second half of your Bible. The New Testament starts with some of the, the, the more read and, and well-known Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we get to Acts and the Romans, and then we have First and Second Corinthians. And so find one of those to help guide you to First Corinthians. Um, and we're going to look at chapter 12, and we're just going to look at three verses initially, but I've got lots of other verses for us to look at in the sermon. Starting with verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. This sermon is uh, the second of, of three messages and we're talking about what it means to be uh, human. What does it mean to be a human being? And what we looked at last week in, in a bit of depth is that Jesus gets to determine what it means to be human. And that might be a surprising thought. Because we are accustomed to thinking that just because we're born into this world... We're a human being, and we know what it means to be uh, human. Um, it, you know, we have this flesh and bones body, and just by walking around in it and interacting with people, going about our day, we're, we're being human. But what we're looking at these three Sundays is a particular way that Jesus shows us to be human, to be truly human. That's a different idea. Um, again, we are accustomed to thinking one way. We're, we're accustomed to thinking, I think, we're accustomed to thinking that um, to be human means to, to be messed up, to, to err. To err is human. That's one of the, the, the phrases that we have, that we use. And I, I know you've identified with that phrase um, from time to time. What, what was the... Uh, uh, the the 80s song, um, I'm only human, I'm only human, born to make mistakes. You know, that, that's what it means to be human. We're, we're making mistakes, we're kind of fumbling through life. Um, we think of Adam, Adam in the Garden of Eden, and how Adam sinned, and and how we participate. We, we share that sin in us, and we think that's what it means to be human. It just means, means to be 
uh, kind of messed up and make mistakes and sin and we err and uh, sometimes we, we just kind of fumble through life and that's what it means to be human. But it's not Adam that gets to define what it means to be human. It's Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse 14, says this. I want to put this on the screen for you. Nevertheless, death reigned from the, from the, uh, the time of Adam, Adam in the Garden of Eden, Adam the first human being that God made, Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who, hid, who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam. And then look what it is said. Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. It's Jesus who is the archetype human being. It's Jesus who gets to define what it means to be human. Adam was just a pattern of Christ. It's not the other way around. We are not a pattern of Adam. We are a pattern. We are meant to be a pattern of Christ. It's Christ who gets to determine what it means to be human. And I think a lot of people today are used to this idea that, yeah, we just kind of fumble along the ways of Adam, and Christ is there to mop up our mess. And when we live that way, we really undervalue how much, indeed, we must learn from Christ what it means to be truly human, to know what our truly human identity is in Christ we're meant to carry on the pattern of Christ. Uh, we just prayed for our students. Some of our students are here, still in the sanctuary. We've got some teenagers over here. We just, we just prayed for our students um, because uh, they are going to be going to uh, learning 30 hours a week um, in some school setting. And, and along the way, after years and years of learning in some school setting for 30 hours a week, Someone graduates and says, well, I'm done learning, and now I can go and practice what I've learned and now contribute to society as, as, a, as a mature human being. Uh, I can be that better human being now that I have all this information that I've learned in my education. Well, how much time right now are you learning what it means to be a true human being from Christ? That's what we're focusing on these three weeks. So let's look at verse 12 of our 1 Corinthians 12 passage. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And I was looking at that verse earlier this week, and at particularly the end that I have in blue there, and I thought, huh, I, I've never really noticed what Paul says there. Because it might not be what you would expect Paul to write. We might, uh, we might expect Paul to write something like this, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with the church, or so it is with the body of Christ. But that's not what Paul writes. Uh, and, th- and pastors and theologians have, have seen this throughout the centuries. John Chrysostom, way back in the 5th century, um, points out that the the natural thing for Paul to have written would have been to point out, so it is with the church. The body has many parts. Many parts form one body, so it is with the church. But that's not what Paul writes. Paul writes a body with many parts, so it is with Christ himself. And this reveals 
a deep connection with Christ and community. What we're going to look at today is how being in community is integral to being a true human being. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a name you may uh, recognize. He was um, a pastor, a theologian, lived, he was German, uh, lived uh, during um, World War II, and he actually was executed um, for his role in trying to put an end to Hitler's regime. And he wrote several books. His most famous book, perhaps, is The Cost of Discipleship. And in this book, this is what he writes. The body of Christ is identical with the new humanity which he, Christ, has taken on him. Remember that Christ gets to determine what it means to be human. He does that by becoming human flesh. He takes humanity on to himself. Christ takes humanity upon himself. So, the body of Christ is identical with the new humanity which Christ has taken upon him. It is, in fact, the church. Jesus Christ is at once himself and his church. He then goes on to say, to be in Christ, therefore, means to be in the church. And maybe even more staggering, he then writes, the church is the real presence of Christ. We should think of the church not as an institution. That's how a lot of people think of the church. It's an institution. No, we should think of the church as a person. And by person, of course, he is referring to Jesus Christ. So those are really strong statements from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And they lead us to our first point, and it's this. Being in Christ includes being in community. If you're in Christ, that necessarily must include being in community. What does it mean to be in Christ? Throughout the New Testament, we see that phrase, especially in Paul's writings, in Christ, you're in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? I want to read through um, several scriptures where Paul writes about being in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's in Christ that we receive every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, we are accustomed to thinking of our physical body. Many people believe, well, yeah, we're we're physical beings, but we have a spiritual component as well. And for many people, the physical is more real than the spiritual, but that's not what this verse is pointing to. That in a a real way, in a very real way, we have presence in the heavenly realms when we are in Christ. Pretty staggering statement. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way. What, What does Paul mean? In the same way, well, if we were to back up just a few verses, verse 5, Paul writes, If we have been united with him, with Christ, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection 
like his. So what it means to be in Christ is we participate in Christ's life, in Christ's humanity. We take his humanity, what he shows us to be truly human, and and we make that our own. Last week we said that to be human means to die to self, to share in a death like Christ. To be human means to die to self. That's what we looked at last week. When we die to self, we take on a new resurrection on Jesus' resurrection. And we receive that when we are in Christ. A couple of more in Christ verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. There is a completely new identity you receive when you are in Christ. You are a new creation. Well, what if I don't feel like a new creation? It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is what is given to you when you are in Christ. You are a new creation. And just a few verses later, a few verses later verse 21 of chapter 5, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. When we are in Christ, our identification with Christ is so strong that we receive Christ's righteousness, his right relationship with God. We receive that because we're in Christ. So right relationship with God, that is the identity of a Christian. And that is true humanity that Christ reveals. We receive that humanity when we are in Christ. Now you may think of the Garden of Eden, Adam in the Garden of Eden, and rejecting God. You might think, well, that's what it means to be human. Being at odds with God. No. One more time. True humanity. Christ's humanity that you receive when you are in Christ means you are righteous in a right relationship with God. That's what happens when you have died to yourself and now share in Christ's new life. And this true humanity in Christ... also means that you are a part of the body of Christ. There's one body with many parts. Those many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. When you're in Christ, part of, part of your new humanity is you are a part of the body, this community of Christ. That's why to be in Christ means to be in community. It's not optional. It's what happens. And we see that in what Jesus says as well. When Jesus was uh, talking to his disciples, the, the very last evening he was with them before he died on the cross, he told them, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, being in Christ, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing And then he clarifies what he means. 
He says, remain in my love. Be in me. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. If you are in me, Jesus is saying, and I am in you, you will bear much fruit. What's the fruit? You'll be this community where you are carrying out my commandments of love for one another. Unity in Christ means community with others. Now, I think we need to talk about the power to live in this community because community isn't easy. Uh, Frederick Beekner, I think it was Frederick Beekner, has this great line about community. He says that community is the place where the person that I least want to be there is always there. It's kind of funny. And it reinforces the idea that community is not convenient. Instead, community is the place where God shapes us. See, remember that being truly human means I'm laying down my life to myself. And community is the landscape that God puts us in so that we can practice that. Uh, C.S. Lewis is um, one of those great Christian thinkers of the 20th century. wrote many great books. One of his books, The Great Divorce, he talks about heaven and hell. And uh, he doesn't depict hell as fire and brimstone. The way that C.S. Lewis depicts hell, it's a place where people live further and further apart because they don't like one another, because they're so inwardly focused. They can't stand anyone else. And so people are increasingly moving further and further away from one another and living in, com- living in complete isolation. There is no community where people are isolated. People are there because they refuse to die to themselves. Hell is the perfect place for someone who refuses to die to him or herself. They are so so stuck on themselves, they can't stand to be around anyone else. But community is the place where God gathers us together so that we can indeed practice dying to ourselves. Community is where there will always be instances where we must lay down our lives for others in the community. And what does that mean? It means forgiving, doesn't it? When we are uh, wronged. It means being patient with uh, one another. It means putting the preference of others before our own preference. That, that's ways of dying to ourself in community. And, and, and where do you get the power to do that? Let's look at verse 13 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And there's Paul emphasizing what Frederick Buechner said, that community is the place where the person I least want to be there is always there. God is mixing together people of all different backgrounds. And say, now I want you to lay down your life for one another. 
Now, look at that verse. Um, who is doing the acting in that verse? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. We'd be baptized by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We're all given uh, the one Spirit. The Spirit gives himself to us to drink, to be nourished. We're nourished by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is acting. See, for the church to truly be the community that Christ intends for us to be, it takes the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Now, what Christians have recognized is that these two activities of the Holy Spirit identified in that verse, um, baptizing and nourishing our very being, give the church two practices that we share as a community. And those two practices are practices through which Christ is very truly and really, definitely present. And we call those the sacraments the, of baptism and the, and the sacrament of communion or the Lord's Supper or uh, using um, one of the more historic church words, the, the Eucharist, meaning the thanksgiving. It's those two practices that, we re- that God gives us as a gift so that we can be nourished by his very being, by Christ, who is definitely present among us through the sacraments as we are nourished and fed and, and given life by the Holy Spirit that we're able to truly live in community with one another. So baptism and the Lord's Supper, we're going to talk about those. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are not just rituals or practices that Christians do to be different. If, you, if, you're, if you're kind of coming from a non-maybe Christian background and, and, and hear of those practices, maybe you're aware of them, you might think that's kind of what the church does to be different. Um, that's, that's kind of one of those uniquely Christian things. They do it and they separate themselves from um, others by these unique practices. Well, it's, it's so much more than that. Uh, They are not rituals or practices that Christians do just to be different. Christ truly makes his presence real to the church through these sacraments. See, I cannot give myself to others in Christian community without Christ first giving himself to me, living in me, giving me the power to do that. So if you're taking notes in your bulletin, Second point is this. We participate in the body of Christ through the sacraments. Not solely through the sacraments, but God has given us the sacraments so that we can participate, be a part of this body of Christ. Let's talk about baptism. Baptism is a sacrament through which we identify with Christ's death and resurrection. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that we won't stay dead. No, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, have this resurrected life. So it's, it's, it's true that, that many people think that baptism is a nice ceremony. 
And if you think that a ceremony that symbolizes your death in Christ and your new life is a nice ceremony, I guess it is a nice ceremony. But when someone is baptized, what the meaning behind it is that person has died to self and is now receiving a new life in Christ. In other words, you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to the Christ who gave his life up for you. And you now live for him and with him and in him. And if Christ has taken his church into himself, and that's what verse 12 says that he does, that means that Christians, if we're living for Christ, it means Christians are to live for one another through sacrificial living. Sacrificial living is another way to think through dying to self. So whenever we celebrate a baptism together in worship, that's what we remember. If I could get you to just move your body around a little bit. Um, How many of you were were baptized as as an infant or a a young child? Well, you might not remember that baptism. And, And how many of you... Were, were baptized maybe later, where you actually do remember uh, your baptism. If, if your hand didn't go up either of those times, by the way, and if you have given your life to Christ, I would like to talk to you about being baptized because that is a sacrament that God has given his people so that he will be truly present with his community. But at any rate, when we baptize someone, we, we ask people to remember their baptism. Even if you can't remember your baptism because you're an infant or a young child, remember that what what that that sacrament that you participated in was a sign that you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. You've died to Christ, and now His life you have received. So that's that's baptism. And we must remember that the life that Christ now calls me to live is the one where I lay my life down for my brothers and sisters in the church community. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Uh, The Lord's Supper is the sacrament Christ has given us for our ongoing nourishment of Christ himself. Uh, We have many different church backgrounds here at Hope Church. And those different church backgrounds each present a different, perhaps, a different understanding of um, the, the Lord's Supper. Some traditions hold that the Lord's Supper is primarily, in fact, some traditions hold that the Lord's Supper is nothing more than a memorial, nothing more than a remembrance, and that nothing really happens when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're just, we're just remembering. It's a ritual for us to remember. Um, but, but Christians throughout the centuries, throughout the centuries, have believed something different than that. That Christ is truly present when we celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or communion. That it's, it's, it's so much more than just remembering we truly are being nourished by Jesus Christ himself through that sacrament. Jesus says that 
You might remember this story um, as it's presented in the Gospels. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He was hungry. He'd been fasting for 40 days. The devil tells him, if you're the Son of God, take these stones, turn them into bread. You have every right to do that, Jesus, because if you are the Son of God, you have every right to do that so that you can feed your body. And Jesus says, quote scripture to the devil, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, pointing to the fact that there is physical feeding for our bodies and there is spiritual feeding for our bodies as well. And we are spiritually nourished through Jesus Christ with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. I like how the Belgic Confession, the Belgic Confession is one of the historical documents um, that Hope Church and our denomination, the Christian Reformed Church, says is a, is a reliable a way for us to understand the scriptures. So let me put this up from the Belgic Confession. As it talks about the Lord's Supper, Christ has instituted an earthly and visible, uh, an earthly and, uh, I may have typoed something, Christ has instituted an earthly and visible bread, oh, now here we go, an earthly and visible bread as the sacrament of his body and wine, as the sacrament and wine. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm slaughtering this. Let me, let me start over. You know how it is. Not quite sure where to put the pause as you're reading something out loud. Christ has instituted an earthly invisible bread. That's the, the, you know, the, the bread that we physically eat as a sacrament of his body, as a sign of his body. And wine, that's what we drink. So usually we drink grape juice here. Uh, and wine as a sacrament or the sign of his blood. He did this to testify to us that just as truly as we take and hold the sacrament in our hands and we eat it and we drink it with our mouths, when we do that, our life is then sustained, truly is sustained as we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and the true blood of Christ, our only Savior. That happens as Christians, by faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit, partake of the Lord's Supper together. Do you see how the Holy Spirit provides the community of faith with practices so that we're not living through our own strength as we relate to one another, but rather we are living through the presence of Jesus Christ in us and among us as we live in this community together. And I need that nourishing from Christ, and you do too. I don't know about you, but I can come to worship on Sunday morning, be a part of this church community I can come with a whole load of worry and weight on me any given Sunday morning. I can have all kinds of things on my mind about what's going wrong or may go wrong. And in me worrying about that, I can put myself at the very center of my life. That can happen any given Sunday morning with me. And I come and I'm like, oh, And myself is at the very center because all I'm doing is worrying about what's going on in my life. And when 
at the very center of my life is me, it can be very hard for me to die to myself and live for others. And so I need Christ reminding me, Greg, I know about all of your worries. I know about your worries. And I so deeply care for you that I have given myself to you. I've died for you. I have offered my life to you, Greg, so that you can now offer your life to me and I'll give you a new life and I'll be the center. Jesus says, I'll be the center of that new life and then you'll be able to love others. So through the sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper, here's what we see. We see two things. Participating in the life of Christ will draw you into the life of the church. If I'm nourished with with Christ's love, if I remember I've died with Christ, that old self is dead and now I've received this new life in Christ. If I remember that, then I will be able to love and forgive and be patient and be kind. That's one thing we see. And then the other thing we see is participating in the life of the church will draw you into the life of Christ. As we gather together, love one another. As we celebrate these two sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper together, more and more I'll see Christ. I'll see the Christ who has taken up the church into himself and is present there in in the church community. I will see the Christ who is present in the church community. I remember uh, my first year in pastoral ministry a long time ago, the church that I was serving at um, had, a, had a gorgeous sanctuary. Um, and I remember one day walking to the office as church secretary. Um, I was on staff. There wasn't the, the lead pastor. But it was on, just one of the pastors on staff. And the secretary said, uh, Pastor Greg, there's, there's a lady who went to the sanctuary, this space, that went into the sanctuary. And she, she's kind of all by herself. She looks a little distraught. You might want to go in there and just ask her how she's doing. So I go in the sanctuary, find the lady. Ask her, how are you doing? And she, she really didn't want to talk about anything. Uh, this is what she said. She said, I just needed to be in church. But she looked distraught. She didn't, she, didn't, she didn't tell me anything about what was going on. She just, she just wanted to be in the church sanctuary. I just need to be in church. Now, she very well may have been at just the right place at, the, at just the right, right time. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if she encountered God in that empty sanctuary room. I don't know. But I know that she needed Jesus. And I'm not saying that Jesus isn't present in an empty sanctuary. He is because he's everywhere. But I know that Jesus is most present in the community that he has taken unto himself, and that is his body, the church. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its part, many parts form one body, so it is with, with Christ himself. So Christ, finishing up, Christ makes himself present to the world, and he does it through his church. He says, I'm not just going to show up. I'm going I'm to fill my church. I'm going to live in my church. And, and, and when you are in my church you are going to live in me. And that is not something 
that can be an add-on to you being a human being. That's what it means to be human, as Jesus has defined humanity himself. And I want to ask you this morning, do you see how Christ makes himself absolutely supreme? Uh, he's, at, he's at the absolute center of everything, the center of your life, this church, the, the center of, of, of all heavens and earth. Many people think, you know, to get to God, God's at the top of the mountain. You can walk up any, many ways up that mountain to God, and Jesus is, is, is just one of those pathways up, up, up to God. No, my friends, Jesus does not allow for that. Jesus is, is not just one path up the way of the mountain. Jesus is the mountain. That's, that's why Jesus can say, I am the life. He is the center. He takes humanity upon himself and says, this is what it means to be a human being. Look at me and live in me. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you would like for him to abide in you and for you to abide in him, he is here. He is in the church. His real presence is here. And you can give your life to him right now. And one day, the promise is, he will come back and dwell in his church, not just spiritually, not the spiritual presence of Christ that we receive in the sacraments, but he'll be here physically. And one day we will see him face to face. Let us pray. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, thank you that you give your church meaning. That you are the center of this church. You are the center of the church. And that you give your life to your church. Thank you that as people come together, like here, right now, this Sunday morning, you are truly present. You're not figuratively present. You're not metaphorically present. You are truly and really present in this community. And we pray, that we would be blessed by your presence as we yield and give our lives to you. Truly give us your life and help us to live for you. And we look forward to that time when it's not just your spiritual presence that we get to enjoy but we will see you face to face. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.